Welcome to the You Need More Money podcast. I'm your host, Matt Monero. My staff booked an interesting guest today. Her name is Dana Ferrant. Dana Ferrant, P-H-A-R-A-N-T.com, DanaFerrant.com. And Dana's a real-life dominatrix. I wasn't sure exactly how to connect the podcast back to business and you need more money, but it worked. Dana gets it. She used being a dominatrix to clean up her mind, what she calls clearing. She cleared her mind. She cleared her body. She got her power back. And I actually understood what she was talking about. I actually was doing my best to relate it to business and leadership and management. And it was pretty wild, 30 minutes. You guys are about to get 30 minutes of me and a dominatrix. Dana Ferrant, D-A-N-A-P-H-A-R-A-N-T.com. You're not going to see her as a dominatrix if you go to the website. You're going to see her as a coach and as a motivator, but you get the next 30 minutes of she and I talking about being a dominatrix and how it connects to you need more money. Enjoy. Welcome to the You Need More Money podcast. I'm your host, Matt Monero, where I come to you from my studio in Dallas, Texas, each and every week. My staff was very interested about today's guest. I was very interested about today's guest, like I am all my guests. But when I heard a little bit of the backstory of today's guest, They were all wondering how I was going to handle it. And I told them, get out of my way. I'll handle it just fine. My guest today is Dana Ferrant. Dana, welcome to the program. Thanks, Matt. I'm delighted to be here. I'm very happy to have you. The audience will be surprised by the topic. Um, We're going to figure out uh, the windy road that takes us to the conclusion. I'm not concerned what road we go down. I'm open to it all. Um, But it is important for us to basically tell the audience that your uh, platform and your expertise is that of a dominatrix who, through your experience as a dominatrix, found yourself. I did. I did. It's, you know, it's fascinating. It's the, the word dominatrix for so many people conjures up a lot of different images and most of it if you're not familiar with that world most of it is what Hollywood would show you Mm -hmm. and we know that Hollywood is terrible at showing the full spectrum of any kind of uh, profession any kind of scenario right we we look at how they portray lawyers well that's not how all lawyers are Mm -hmm. and same thing with this and so there's a lot of misconceptions that I would love to clear up for people. Well, I mean, I think we should go there because, um, because, you know, my staff was joking and they were like, uh, you know, listen, if you come out of the studio wearing a leather corset, uh, you know, we'll all, uh, we'll all give you a hard time. Right. So, I mean, but, but I'm, I'm open to going there with you. I mean, when you say we have to clear it up, what are these misconceptions that we have? Is, is it this visual or is it more of the emotional side of being a dominatrix that connects back to power and, and, Uh, success. Okay, so let me share a bit of my story and and why I ended up getting involved in this. So I I'm going to back right up give a little bit of of preamble is that I grew up in a cult. And part of that there was, of course, sexual abuse that happened in that. And over the years, I spent a lot of time trying to untangle and unravel that from my body and all the effects. And I was drawn to experiencing 
you know, things like being tied up and being whipped. And I, and it was strange to me because I thought, oh, it must be because I'm broken or, you know, there's something wrong with me. This is not normal. And so when I finally found somebody who could explain the kink in terms that was beyond what most people see on the outside and see it as being harsh, um, I started to realize that this was an opportunity for for healing, which is not what most people think. Mm-hmm. So I found some really incredible people to take me through what we call a scene because we don't, we don't, it's not sex. And so to take me through the scene where I was able to actually reenact things that had happened or similar to what had happened, but the outcome allowed me to take back my power. And that allowed me to heal on a deeper, deeper level than I had done through anything else. It was incredible. So from that experience, that was where I was really inspired because, you know, I'm also a healer and I was really inspired to take other people on this journey. So that's how I ended up becoming a dominatrix. Mm. When you talk about the script, you know, the people who's in the script or they're perfect strangers to you. The, the scene and everybody, scene, yeah, so. everything has to be with consent. So we have a saying that is everything is safe, sane and consensual. Mm-hmm. But how do you find people to play these roles? Well, these are all people who are also interested in kink play. They're, you know, they're educated, they're aware, and you have a lot of discussion and negotiation prior to entering into any kind of scene. Is this pre-internet or post-internet? Both. So like, how does someone, uh, how does someone even find that world to, uh, to go there? Does that world, is that world very um, prevalent? Is it a big It's community? a lot more prevalent now that the internet is around. Um, prior to that, there were, there's always been a lot of, there's been books that have been written that you can find. Um, and typically it would have been, you know, like the back of the the magazines, the CD magazines, you would find some information and, and through word of mouth, right? You connect with people. Um, so there used to be a lot more social engagements, um, things happening where people could go and and talk and find out like, what is this? What is it about? Do I want to explore it further? And there's, there's lots of public play parties that happen where people will go through and and enact a scene in public Mm. um, because it's a safe space. You know, if you're playing with somebody new, you might want to do that there instead of privately where you don't know what's going to happen. When you say safe, safe Mm -hmm. is it's safe because of the expectations being outlined. It's safe with that. And so if you play in a, in a public space where there's other people who are, you know, kink friendly, those who are aware and trained, then they're, they're also keeping an eye. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. exciting to watch a scene, but Mm -hmm. it's also, they're keeping an eye, making sure that you do stay safe, Mm -hmm. that you're, that things don't go too far or, you know, that, things don't get out of hand because there are possibilities of that. You realize that I finance trucks, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, that's my, that's my job. Right? Yeah. We've gone way off topic, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm trying to bring you back to my side of the thing. Right? <laughs> yeah. But listen, we're working through it because I do, I think the, the finish line of your life experience, which now is probably connected to your mission and your purpose is something that while we have to use your part of your history, which is this, attention grabbing dominatrix thing but the reality is the underlying message is of healing and it's of um regaining 
self-worth, I'm going to throw these words out, self-worth, mm-hmm. confidence, yep. strength, yep. power, trust, right? Yes. All of these things mission critical to running a business. Absolutely. So when did you start to say, I'm being healed, right? Because it started, the dominatrix experience, correct me if I'm wrong, but it started with, um, you, you weren't after it for healing. You were after it for, no. for excitement. Yes. And then when did you begin to recognize like, uh, hey, this is actually working for me. I'm, I'm becoming a better person and feeling better about myself through this process. That was pretty much my first introduction to it. So the first scene that I was involved in, I felt that lift. I felt a shift. Um, and and the, this is really possible when you have somebody who's good and could take you through this scene. Because what happens is that the scene and the, the play, you are inflicting a certain amount of pain. And pain that has to be part of it doesn't have to be part of it it can just be mentally there can be some you know some play that way but let's say if it's pain that we're going down that route then what happens is that the the endorphins are released and the um the natural cannabis high i'm gapping on the name of that there's an there's another piece that but that gets released and what happens is that over a period of time you're dropping deeper and deeper into a meditative state mm. And so it's like a meditative state that people would get into when they've studied, say, transcendental meditation for 20 years. You can get there in one scene with kink because you're dropping so much into this surrender of everything that is and nothing else exists except for this moment in time. Mm. And in that, when you close out the scene, that's where it moves from being harsh or, you know, pretending to be harsh to this lovely nurturing space where you really you let the person know like you've oh my god you you were so strong you were so brave and look at what you you went through look what you did you're so much better than you thought you could be you can implant those ideas but that's where it becomes transformational and it's incredible is it or is it a sales job i mean isn't that sort of like what the customer pays for which is is so i mean are you really in in that vibe between two people or are you just making sure that the experience is what they wanted so the check clears it could be either i played more for myself for my own personal benefit and Mm. so it was that deep experience with Mm, people mm, mm. and i would you know push their limits of where they initially thought their limits were but where i could see that they could go a little bit further and then yeah i could genuinely say like look you're you're so much stronger than you thought you were well how does somebody get it without going to a dominatrix or doing kink how do we get the same therapeutic experience without <laughs> going down this road yeah and and that's what i've been working on the last 5 years is translating all of that benefit all of the energy of that, uh, you know, transformation ability into my work with clients now. Mm -hmm. So I can take people through the same transformation, but you don't have to come to the dungeon. Look, I think it's kind of interesting. I'm I'm really fascinated by the script thing because like one of the things I've done for many years as a leader was I never gave people a script. And it's a scene, not a script. Sorry, I I keep going back to that. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. Um, well, I'm not so sure I gave him a scene either, which was, 
I always had this scene in my mind of how it was going to work out. You're going to come to my company. You're going to be given a chance that you probably wouldn't have been given anywhere else. If you take advantage of that chance, you're going to make more money than you'd ever make anywhere else. And you'll find happiness. You'll find that you pushed harder than you've ever been pushed before. You'll feel better and more skilled. You'll dominate some version of the marketplace. And um, you'll be able to be a better holistic person. The problem was I never laid that out in a scene or in a script or in expectations. And so it came across as me being a lunatic, just an absolute madman to these people, right? And some lunatics were like, I gravitate to this guy. He's all right. And they've been with me 17 years, 15 years, 12 years, and they make millions of dollars, right? It worked. And some people said, I'm not going to spend two minutes with this wacko. Right. Get me. I, I remember finding an email from from a receptionist that we hired um, after she left after like two days and she had been emailing her husband, please get me out of here. Please. <laughs> I can't work for this guy anymore. He's nuts. Right. I so, love it. So, so, I mean, are you taking these ideas of scripts and scenes and expectations and now helping people lay that out in their work environments? Sort of. I do a bit of that. So a lot of what I do now is I work with energy shifting tools. Mm-hmm. And and what happens is that we and we get these little scripts in our programs in our brain of, you know, I can't do this or, you know, that's not possible. Um, I, you know, I can't push past this. I'm not allowed to ask for the sale, all of these kinds of things. And when you're able to tweak those programming, then it becomes a choice of whether you ask for the sale or don't ask for the sale. It becomes a choice whether you kind of nudge that client a little bit further or not. It becomes a choice whether you reach out for the 12th time, even though they've been saying not now, not now, not now. It's changes the Mm -hmm. dynamics for people and moving it from I have to, to I want to. Mm. Very interesting. By the way, the a woman is called a dominatrix. What's the man called in that scene? Dom. But but is he the dominator in the scene too? He he would well yeah we don't call it dominator it would be dom so d o m m e okay um yeah the, the or a dominant gotcha the- if he was the dominant one he's a dom yes okay ten four and what is the person being dominated called submissive submissive and that's male or, or female doesn't matter male or female doesn't matter yeah there there are some other terms as well but that's the most common i'm telling you i see a lot of connections between your experience and business leadership i really Absolutely. do i Thank think you. it's a really um i was going to say weird that's an unfair term but but i think our our my methodology is weird but i see a lot of connections of how there and by the way it's, it's a lot the same in the navy seals too and the military, yeah, it's t- absolutely it, it, it. It's take the person to levels of break, mm-hmm. and then almost re-record the tapes, yeah, and make them uh, make them strong because you force them to do things they never thought was possible. Yeah, right. Yeah, they just you know they just don't get any kind of you know niceness at the end of it. They just they have to make that in internalize it for themselves of like, I did it. I pushed through it. I look at what I did. Mm. Um, whereas in my world, we, you know, as the dumb, I would let the person know that that's what they've accomplished. I would let them, mm-hmm. you know, have that downtime in between. So let's talk about judgment. 
Let's Yay. talk about how do you, how do you per, how do you, let's talk about guts. How do you have the guts to feel so comfortable about your history and your journey that you just come on out and say, I'm going to actually build a coaching business around these, this storyline. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's been a journey to do that. It really has. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I had this idea, you know, four or five years ago, and I, I really wanted to play on it because there's so much that, like you say, you can see the correlation. Who I had to become to be that dominatrix is the same type of energy that I need in my business. And, and I really wanted to bring that to people in business. But, you know, going out there and, and talking about it, everybody has these preconceived ideas. I have a lot of people who think that a dominatrix is basically a prostitute with a whip. I have, you know, and I've come from like a massage background. So that adds to the layer of like, oh my God. And then there's the layer of like, what are people going to think about my husband? Because if I'm coming out with this. So it's it was a long journey of me really getting comfortable with allowing people to judge me. And not just like, oh, I'm okay with that, right? Because that's one layer, right? There's the like, oh, I'm okay with that. But that's not really owning it. But to actually bring it in, and the really high level of this is that to receive someone's judgment and receive it in a way that it's like, what if that was like the best, yummiest chocolate cake? Like, what if you allowed that to come in in that way where you just absorb the energy as fuel for your business? How do you... How do you know that it's fuel and not deflection, though? How do you know that that's actually like, look, listen, my adopted dad was a pretty rough guy. You know, yep. he, you know, he called me stupid, idiot, retard my whole life. Right. And mm -hmm. um, and so I can absorb that stuff. But mm -hmm. but it because I heard it, but it doesn't hurt less. Yeah. And there's a, that's that's the big thing of, you know, where I take people through this process of learning to first of all get rid of your judgments of yourself and and it's you know it is high level like this piece of being willing to receive other people's take, judgments. take me there though how do we do that how do we help the audience understand how do you begin the process of removing judgment of yourself um okay so i'll give you a simple tool for clearing the energy from your system clearing the judgments um so let's take money since you talk about money mm. uh and for most people, they have bugaboos about money. So whether it's having it, not having it, there's there's internal judgments around either side. Hey, let me just interrupt because I'll solve that problem for 20 bucks on Amazon. It'll be a lot easier for them to buy my book. I promise you that. <laughs> my book will help you fix it, all right? Okay, let's get back to it. Okay. <laughs> of how to make money? Is that the... Yeah, and how to get over the judgment and the, and the, the, the guilt of having it or not having it or that... Um, you know, we're chasing it and, and how to find purpose and allow money to follow. That's all that stuff's in the book. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, t I'll take you on a different way of getting there. <laughs> I haven't read your book, so, but I don't know. I just got to assume that it's maybe different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's quite a bit different. I promise you that. Yeah, it's a lot different. So, so basically what, what we want to do is that on our, in our system, we have like a disruption in our energy field when we have judgments. And the more that we have a judgment, the more disruption there are. So it's kind of like, you know, the old TVs back when you and I were like three, when you had to have antennas 
if the signal wasn't coming in real clear, the, the picture was fuzzy. And that's kind of that fuzzy picture is us filter, filtering in judgments. So if we, you know, tweak the antennas, then the picture comes in clearer. Mm -hmm. So this is what we're doing with the energy clearing. I just want to set this up. So basically, if you take your thumb and index finger in the shape of a C, is naturally in the shape of a C, and your how you clear is you place it up on your forehead where your hairline would naturally lie, mm -hmm. and you take a deep breath. And on the exhale, what you do is you imagine just clearing all the system, all the body, so all the energy lines. And just that big exhale just uh, allows you to release it. So that's the clearing part of it. Okay. Now, what we do to stir up the judgments is we say a statement that we know is going to stir up the judgments. So if we take the money thing. So you say, I'm okay with having money. And usually for people that stirs up a little bit of a disruption. So you put your thumb and index finger on the top of your head, take deep breath and you clear. Exhale. And you repeat that until you can say this statement and there doesn't, and the picture's coming in nice and clear. It just feels clean. Now what we do is we work on the opposite side and you say, I'm okay with not having money because we have judgments about not having money too. So we clear, repeat that until mm -hmm. that's clear. Now what you're left with is you don't have a resistance to having it. You don't have a resistance to not having it. And it's choice whether you bring it in or not. And of course, life's better if you have it. Hey, let me ask you this question about the importance of clearing mentally and clearing physically. Because I think I can clear mentally pretty well, but mm -hmm. I still like cheeseburgers afterwards. You know what I mean? Which is connected <laughs> to which is connected to self-esteem and stuff like that too, I right. think. So right. so how how do we how do we put two and two together and how important is it that we clear mentally and we clear physically through workouts? through eating, through drugs, through smoking, through cigars, whatever we happen to do, which really is a little bit of um, uh, um, uh, self-sabotage, right, when we, mm -hmm. when we carry those versions of addiction. So just, just tell yeah. me with that, if you don't mind. Sure. So, you know, we, we, do, we are complete beings. We need to address the mental. We need to address the energetic which is and which also addresses the physical. Um, we need to address the physical through taking care of our health and putting in things that that nourish us as opposed to the bad habits, you know, the cheeseburgers and the cigarettes. And those things are blockers for clearing. Those are not actually clearing. Hmm. So we, we do need to address all of it in order to have a holistic approach to it and to have something that's actually going to shift things dynamically permanently. So do you find your, your clients um, with addictive personalities uh, at times and therefore it's harder for them to clear because they got to, they got to, they got to kick the addiction before they can clear. They don't have to kick the addiction before they can clear. Clearing often helps them to kick the addiction. Gotcha. So, I mean, what I gave you today is just, is a really like high level. Right. Like it's just, it's just the, you mean like scratching the surface, the scratching level? the surface on that. Okay. And, you know, when I dig in with people, then we start looking at the nuances of, you know, maybe you're allowed to have money, but only in certain circumstances or only a certain amount or only on Tuesdays or like we have these crazy little programs that get set up and by weeding all of them out, it moves it. Um, like I had a woman this morning, I was working with her and Today, she wanted to clear some of the stuff with weight, which is food addiction. And really what it boiled down to was that she wasn't okay with getting unwanted attention. Mm. 
So if she loses weight, she's going to get unwanted attention. And the reason she wasn't okay with that is because it would make her boyfriend uncomfortable. That's a big convoluted piece that you're not necessarily going to cognitively, consciously get yourself, right? But by, by kind of digging in there with somebody else, then you can kind of go, oh, that's where that's leading in. And we get the root of it and pull that out. So in a business situation... Mm-hmm. Does a leader have the ability to to have those conversations or does HR get called and, and you know, somebody's somebody's like, uh, they're trying to clear me every day. Uh, they're calling it a management meeting or a one-on-one, but, the, but you know, they're trying to brainwash me into, into clearing or something like that. Do you follow what I'm saying? I mean, how deep can we go on these in our leadership role in a business environment? Yeah, it would be more in a in a mentoring situation would probably be more appropriate. I mean, if you're leading somebody in a group format, that might be one thing. But if you're calling somebody in and trying to clear them of their stuff, when that's not really your role, mm-hmm. it's probably not appropriate. But you could nudge people in saying, you know, if you give them the tools, then inviting people to say, okay, well, what? what else is going on underneath this? Like what's that resistance to actually asking for the sale? What's that resistance to taking this further? What's going on underneath? I think asking questions is never inappropriate. And, and what about, what about the mindset that I most often default to, which was, which is get over it. (laughs) Quit whining about it. Quit whining about it. Tell it to the bank. Yeah. The thing is, is that for most people, when you say get over it, what happens is that you stuff it in the back of the closet. You put enough stuff in that closet and the closet door pops off and all the crap falls out. And so what happens is that it shows up in another way and it shows up. This is where addictions show up. If you're continually stuffing and repressing and just like, I'll just get over it and move on. It'll come through somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Maybe an illness, maybe an addiction, maybe lashing out at your partner. Mm -hmm. Can people find this cleansing process? Like I was just listening to an interview with a guy named Jesse Itzler, who wrote a book called Living with a Seal. And he was talking about how he ran a hundred mile race and it just changed everything. He felt like all of the baggage was purged from him when he got to the hundred mile race. When he finished, he had to spend four days in a wheelchair In fact, eight years later, he still has problems with his feet because of that race and all that sort of stuff. Can you get it? Can you get it through those just extended, uncomfortable sessions? Absolutely. It's that's the same thing as as the dungeon. It's an extended, uncomfortable situation that creates the transformation. Um, People have done vision quests for years, you know, to go and fast for 21 days with no food, no water out in the elements. That's an extended, uncomfortable situation. Hmm. They all create transformation. I think it's very interesting. I really do. And I give you a lot of credit for having the guts to come out and talk about it. I am trying my best to not go to the dungeon in my mind with you. Like I'm trying (laughs) not to think about that stuff. And I don't know whether I'm blocking or what. I can go there through what I see in Hollywood, but Mm -hmm. I really, I don't know that I can really understand that version of expression. I'm more of, I'd like to try to run a triathlon or do a hundred mile race than I would there. What does that say about me? 
how much do you like being in control? I like being in control of myself. I don't, I have no interest in controlling other people, but I'm no, interested I mean, in of myself. yourself. A yeah. total control. Right. So going to the dungeon would require you to surrender control. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Well, I was looking at it, uh, not as the, uh, person being dominated. I was looking at it as being dominated. <laughs> yeah. That's how I was visioning it. Right. And then on the other side of it is that, um, and here's, here's where the other, you know, flip is for people is that most people look mm -hmm. at the dom dominatrix as the one being in control, in charge with all the power. And that's, that's the front. That's the, that's just the showmanship piece. But in reality, it's the submissive that has all the control because they have the ultimate power to always call stop at any time. Mm. Dana, this has been fun. <laughs> I'm grateful to meet you. I'm, I'm, I'm um, ridiculously proud of your story of guts. Uh, mm. I read your bio, the, the, the difficulty in the upbringing. Thanks for touching on it a little bit. I know we could have gone much deeper on that, so I appreciate you. Um, I would have gone wherever you wanted to, but I don't know that that's uh, how you want to do it. But what I think is most exciting, and to tell you the truth, I have to look at it from a business standpoint. I think you're on to something here. Like, I think it's really interesting. I was just at this thing. Do you know this guy named Buck Angel? Does that name ring a bell, Buck Angel? No, I haven't heard of him yet. I was just at this event at MIT three weeks ago, and Buck Angel came in and spoke at it. And it was a crazy speech that he gave. But the topic of the event was courage, right? And they had 17 speakers who came in and spoke on courage. One guy got half eaten by a shark. Um, one guy had cancer three times and recovered. And then he got... Um, uh, uh, an infection and lost both his legs. Wow. A, a, a woman uh, was in, um, was in the um, 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 Rwanda um, uh, uh, apartheid and ended up spending 91 days locked in a three by four room with wow. five other women to oh be goodness. safe. And she survived. And then when she came out only to find out that her, parents and her two brothers were killed and then the only thing she wanted to do was to go find the killers and she ended up finding the killers in prison and all she wanted to do was forgive them mm. right so this power and courage is just unbelievable and i i mean my, my buddy rick sapio put that event on and it was like every speaker i kept looking at him and saying man you're my buddy but you are embodying courage by getting these people to come and talk to 60 of your buddies at MIT in this really fancy setup. And you're continuing to bring one guest who goes deeper after deeper after his very, very powerful experience. And I bring it up to you because um, there is power and courage. There is. And it's not always courage in business, right? It's just courage to exist. Mm -hmm. So I'm proud to meet you. Thank you. Thank I'm you honored. Well. I'll see you down the road. Thanks. Thanks, Pat. I'll see you down the road. That's our episode this week with your host, Matt Monero. Check us out every Friday at 12 p.m. Central as we discuss money, your life, and how you need more money.